Hey folks, Randy Newberg here with another episode of Leupold's Hunt Talk Radio. Uh, today, we're at our office, uh, recovering from the snow of a June blizzard. Well, maybe not blizzard, uh, just quite a bit of snow uh, here in the Bozeman area on June 20th of all crazy things. And with me are two of our crew, uh, Marcus Hockett, Michael Parente, and we're going to talk about a lot of things related to elk hunting, uh, e-scouting, planning, and we're going to solve the the debate. Well, maybe we won't solve it. We're going to try uh, that Marcus and I, Marcus and I have. Marcus is fond of always saying elk are where you find them which implies there's some randomness to it. And I always say, no, you find them where they are. And maybe it's just how I think of things and how my accountant mind works. But to me, that's more of a... uh, an assertive statement that you got to do what you got to do and not rely on the randomness. But you'll hear us have this debate. Uh, and usually when Marcus and I are having this debate, bystanders are looking at each other like, you guys just like to argue or what's the deal here? But that's, uh, that's one of the things we want to talk about today. And that will lead us to a discussion, I hope, about e-scouting and elk needs and why you find them where they are. Why are they in that spot and not in some random spot? But before we get there, want to thank our, our partners who make this possible. Uh, Leupold Optics, great supporter of all that we do, of uh, public lands, of conservation, uh, manufacturer of amazing optics. I hope you go out to leupold.com and check them out. And when you're in the market for optics, I sure hope that you would consider the fine Leupold products that, that we are so lucky to get to use. Uh, Onyx Maps, you'll hear us talking about Onyx Maps so much in our e-scouting and and planning. It's absolutely critical to what we do. Go to onyxmaps.com, use promo code RANDY, R-A-N-D-Y, and they'll give you 20% off any other app products that you might buy. Orion Coolers, uh, they're, they're very critical to our elk hunting also, but in a different way. We end up living out of those coolers for weeks at a time. Uh, when we're lucky and, and fill a tag, we end up using those coolers to make sure we can get our meat, our elk, venison back to Montana in perfect condition. Uh, go out to OrionCoolers.com and use promo code Randy, and they will give you 20% off any of those amazing coolers that they make. And the last one, uh, GoHunt.com, they have a service called The Insider. And right now, they have a 30-day free trial. And uh, I think that starts July 1st, and usually it runs sometime into late August, uh, that 30-day free trial. Um, I'm trying to remember what the URL is, but you can just go out to their website, and it'll talk about uh, the 30-day free trial. And if you just want to sign up and become a member of the Insider and get access to the information that we use for all of our research and draw odds and planning and strategy articles, uh, go out there, just sign up, use promo code Randy, R-A-N-D-Y, and you're going to get $50 of free credit in their gear shop. So with that, uh, it's fun to have Marcus and Michael here. Yeah, we, we always have good conversation. I, I think 
what we can do here, hopefully replicates some of the conversations we have when we have windshield time burning down the road uh, to all of, going to or from all of our locations, or when we're sitting around the campfire at night uh, waiting for the next day of hunting. We have some interesting discussions, let's put it that way. And Michael has a really, really good elk tag in Wyoming this year, and we're going to be doing a bunch of e-scouting for that. We're going to make those e-scouting videos available on our YouTube channel, and hopefully it'll piggyback on what we did with Onyx last year when we did those e-scouting videos. I think last year we did 12 of them. Uh, but anyhow, these guys are looking at me wondering, Randy, you ever going to turn us, uh, turn on the switch and and let us in on the conversation. So uh, I'm going to hit the, the switch here and we'll welcome Marcus and Michael into the discussion. Thanks for being here. All right, folks. I told you that I just went and grabbed Marcus and Michael and said, hey, we're doing a podcast. And they're like, what about? I said, I don't know. We'll make it up as we go. So <laughs> that's what we're doing. Uh, Michael's better at making it up when it's fishing and equipment. Yeah, that's he's, right. He's like the equipment addict junkie nerd i do love gear yeah and marcus he's just like okay whatever if we're if i'm supposed to be in make it up mood today i guess i'll be in make it up mood i'll, I'll try i'll try my best you will yeah okay because you look like you're about ready to fall asleep over there oh, we're good it's a friday afternoon <laughs> right after lunch probably the worst time you can ever do a podcast is right after lunch when all the blood's in your stomach and you're already tired so <laughs> Anyhow, do we want to get into the very first? In our office, there's always an argument, and it's usually between Marcus and I. <laughs> and Marcus says elk. What, how do you say it? The elk are where you find them. And I say BS. But every time. <laughs> I've no. never not found an elk where it is. There you can see. There you, that's it. <laughs> you're, you're catching on. You find them where they are. <laughs> It's it's not elk are where you find them. It's you find them where they are. I feel like it's one of the same. No, no, when you get old and gray like me, you'll realize that these little words and how they show up in a sentence are like the defining characteristic of where the thought goes. Marcus, look right. at him. I wish we were videoing this, Michael. He, he's like, whatever, man. You, you. I like I like the term, though. Yeah, elk the are fish are where you find them. Yeah, the elk exactly. are where you find them. Every time. It makes sense to yeah. me. No, it doesn't. It, it <laughs> makes zero sense. It, that, that, that implies it's completely random. Uh, well, it's not completely random, but they are where they are. There you go. Yeah. They are where they are for a reason. Yeah, sometimes. I think sometimes no. they're just where they are. No, I don't buy that. <laughs> I used to think that. I, uh, huh. How are we going to solve this? Are we going to do like paper, rock, scissors or something? I don't, or? Know. I don't know. Just... Hmm. So in my mind, I don't know what the listener thinks, but when someone says elk are where you find them, to me, that's kind of like, oh, you just wander around and you'll find them and, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, there, there is some truth to that. The more you wander around, the better the chance <laughs> yeah. that you're going to find them. <laughs> imagine, imagine if we went out and we have our five days, right? We've got one day of travel, five days of hunting, and one day on the end. If the plan was we'll just wander around until we find them well i'm sure if you put a little bit more thought into just wandering it's you your results would be better probably yeah yeah and we try I mean, just a, a little bit more thought. and that's where yeah. the more thought goes to you find them where they are 
I think I think the biggest thing I'm trying to get at with this point is that I hear from people all the time. They're like, yeah, I'm in this basin and there's elk sign everywhere. I'm seeing mm-hmm. tracks. I'm seeing rubs. But I just I can't find the elk. I'm like, yeah, because they're not there. Exactly. They're somewhere <laughs> yeah. else. Like they were there, but they're not there anymore. <laughs> right. So that's the, that gets to the part of where they are. Yeah. You need to be where they are. Yeah. They're not going to be where you are. So that's why I say you find them where they are. I can't tell if we're like getting really deep into conversation or if we're just like rambling randomly. I think Randy's saying they're there for a reason and you got to find out the reason. But also there are some times where there's really good elk habitat and it's no pressure and you're like, they should be elk here, but they're not. Right, but they are not. where they are. They are where they are. <laughs> exactly, <somewhere> but that <laughs> but that doesn't mean they they that you will find. How do you say it? Elk are where you find them. The elk are where you the find. The elk them. are where you find them. See, I can't even get that out. It makes <laughs> it makes no sense to me to say it that way. But uh, I, did, I, did, I don't. Even, I don't think I started that. I think it was my my buddy Rocky is the one who started that. Really, where does Rocky live? He's uh, in Washington now, but he we grew up in Dillon together. So. Okay. Yeah, the, the fish are where you find them. The elk are where you find them. <laughs> See, every, every time. So the, the reason, <laughs> so here, a little background about why we decided to do this podcast. My wife and I are up walleye fishing by Fort Pack last week, and all we're catching are these slimy snot rocket hammer handle northerns, and I'm like, I wonder where they're at. And I'm using this same theory for walleye fish. Well, Walleye fishing is kind of what brought me to my how you find them elk theory. And she said something almost identical to what you did. As you say, Marcus, she's like, well, they are where they are. Yeah. And I'm like, no, I looked at her like blasphemy. What, what the hell are you talking about, woman? She looks at me like, well, that didn't mean to piss you off. But uh, so we moved to a different part of the lake. Because I'm looking at my graph. I, she's got a TV screen on our boat, on her boat. I say ours because I'm the <laughs> one who has to drive it all the time, but it's her boat that has more colors and definition than my big screen TV that I have at home. <laughs> my big screen TV at home is like 12, 14 years old. And we paid more for her little TV screen on the boat than we paid for my big screen at home. But anyhow, I'm looking at that and I'm thinking, all right. So... We just came off the post-spawn. We're now probably in an early summer walleye period. They should be here. But uh, it's been warmer the last two weeks. The water level is dropping. That means they're probably more on their summer pattern than their post-spawn pattern. Go find this other place that is where walleye should be in a summer pattern. Whoom, whoom, whom. I mean, we're just... It's like all we had to do is open the live well, and they were jumping in there. <laughs> and I, I was thinking, man, if Michael could see this, he'd get rid of that that fly rod. <laughs> but you, you say you don't like to eat fish, right? Uh, it's not my favorite food, but I was telling Marcus, like, if we were stuck on an island, we just got back from paddle fishing last week. If we were like stuck on an island, I could definitely eat like catfish, and I had some walleye. And it's, I mean, it's not my favorite food, but yeah, it's yeah. Not my favorite. I'm a big uh, fan. I'm a big fan too. Yeah. So anyhow, point was the walleyes, they aren't where we found them. We found them where they were. <laughs> In other words, I, they, I, they, I don't know how they, to respond they, to that. They weren't coming to us because I decided to fish here. 
they were in a certain spot for a certain reason, and I had to go to that spot and that reason to catch them. Okay. I'm not disagreeing with you. So that, but I'm trying to give some background about, one, how this podcast topic came up and not get divorced. My wife doesn't listen to the podcast anymore, so I'm going to say it. I want, but, uh, but also this is how I came to, and you guys probably get tired of me saying it, these five calendar periods of elk. How many pieces of footage have we filmed related to I think to you've that? talked about it once or twice. <laughs> Today. so uh that's those who haven't listened to my story of how i became the world's worst elk hunter uh i spent my first six years just like when you moved out here michael what you've been out here uh two two years two years now so i'm i'd went to college in nevada but i'd never hunted elk when i moved to montana it was my first time ever elk hunting and I had all these whitetail ideas in my mind, which was almost the worst, I guess, forming of your mind you could have because there's so many things different about elk and the landscapes and their habits. Elk don't live in a 40-acre little patch all their lives, and they're not as habitual and da da So that's why it took me six seasons before I finally killed an elk. Um, and all those prior seasons, I mean, and there, I'd go a season with only seeing one cow elk. I'm like, I call BS. They say there's a hundred thousand elk in Montana. There can't be. They're just, I, I would almost want to argue with them because either that or I'm blind or uh, I, I was out of all kinds of reasons why. And then I went into the gadgetry thing, right? What, what does a guy do when he gets frustrated? He goes by, going by his prettier, my wife, when we're not catching the walleyes, she's like, well, let's dig this out. And she's got a selection of crankbaits <laughs> that would make a professional fisherman envious. She's like, well, this is just wrong color or something. No, I think we're in wrong place. Nope. Try this color. Try that color. So I went through that phase where gadgets and doodads and gizmos I got to be careful saying that because to my right is like the biggest gear junkie I've ever <laughs> met. Have you ever met a bigger gear junkie than Michael? Actually, probably. Oh, really? John. Uh, uh, John Lanceedle. He okay. loves his gear. Oh, really? Uh-oh. Sorry, John. I didn't mean to rat you out like that. Marcus just offered that up. But wait, wait. I just like things that make my life easier. I think. Really? Just like, yeah. So someday you're going to get cool. to a point where you get so much junk that it complicates it. Yeah. Starting to run into that with my fly fishing tackle. Really? Just like so many flies. Like, what do I do? I don't know. There's so many of them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So See, that, I just and, like to have and, a friend like Michael. And then right, like, when I, I, like, hey, I don't have any flies, can I just like Borrow use one. that one? Yeah. <laughs> Actually, can I just use your fly rod? It's <laughs> already you set up. That's what we were doing last week. <laughs> so I went through that phase where I thought buying more gear or the next gizmo or doodad was going to get me there. That somehow not under, understanding the concept that you find elk where they are, that I was going to get a shortcut by going down to sporting goods store and spending $40 I really couldn't afford. But, hey, I saw some dude in a magazine. You, well, see, nowadays they'd say I saw it on TV or I saw a YouTube video. Back then <laughs> I was like, yeah, I saw it in a magazine, man. I, serious stuff. And... I eventually, that didn't work either. All that did was cost me a whole lot of money. Uh, and through the process, I asked myself, well, how is it that 
I can catch walleyes about anywhere I go, but I can't find a damn elk. And spent a whole summer analyzing, and this is the accountant analytical in me. Well, here's why, Randy. And, and it really was that I knew everything about walleyes and where they would be at certain times of the year based on what their needs are. Okay, they're spawning when the water temperature is 45 degrees, so they're going to be up shallower. They want the warmest water, which is on the north shore of the lake because the south sun is warming that up. So they're spawning there. And right after that, they're going to be just off those, blah, blah, blah. And you could progress that through the whole season all the way into ice fishing. Well, they weren't just there by accident. They were there because they had a need they were trying to fill. So that's when I sat down and came up with this thing. You guys always hear me talk about these five calendars of the elk's life. Or five, what do I call it? Five periods of the elk hunting calendar. That's it. I make it up. Every, sounds, I, I make it up. Right. It's something different. Every When's time the book coming out? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, the contract for that book is still sitting on my floor. <laughs> the publishing company has given up on me. Uh, sorry, Alan. He, yeah, Alan's not even at that publishing company anymore. He probably, if he does listen to podcasts, he's probably like, well, don't ever count on Newberg to write a book. <laughs> I, I'm behind on podcasts. I don't know how I'd ever write a book, but yeah, it. It comes to those five calendar periods that elk look at. And humans, I think we want to make it our calendar instead of their calendar. And we always have early season, pre-rut, peak rut, post-rut, late season. And Michael and I, next Friday, we're going to film that? Yeah. So Michael has a Wyoming elk tag. I was very fortunate to draw one. Yes. A good one in a theory, good one. right? Yeah. <laughs> but Michael thinks he wants to kill one with an, uh, uh, his archery gear. Yeah. You like sure first couple days. Yeah. I'm thinking second or third day. You think so? I think so. So he's bringing Marcus with to film it because he knows Marcus is the best caller in our office. <laughs> yep. Is that why? Yeah. And he, he he's doesn't, been he successful in Nothing that. to do with friendship. Marcus <laughs> is just like, man, the dude knows how to call. He's so. been successful in that pre-rut period too. Right. So so season opens September 1st. Yep. So that's when they're transitioning from, on this elk calendar, if you think about it, they're transitioning from early season to peak rut. So it's kind of that pre-rut mix of, that's a pretty short window of time. Right? Yeah. They go from early season to peak rut, I think in the course of probably five to seven days. <clears throat> And it's not like all of them show up one day down at the water hole and say, you know, I think it's peak rut today, boys. Let's start beating. <laughs> you know, and turn off this pre-rut stuff. So when I do these seminars and presentations, a lot of people think it's that precise, that it's, oh, this date, got to do this, this date, got to do that. It's this, there's so many. Um, it's, it can like change like per drainage, I feel yeah. like. You could go like one drainage over and the herd over there is like at a different stage of getting their herd bowl and satellites. It's so weird. It's weird. Yeah. That's why I, I try to tell people it's not hard and fast. But So you're going to be there September 1st. Yep. I think Marcus and I are going to go like, well, we're definitely going to go one day before and do some scouting. Hold on. What's our rule? Uh, Five days? Or yeah, five days of hunting. Five days of hunting. But we always try to get... At least one day, right? Oh, one or you're, you're going to do one day of scouting? I mean, I'm hoping to. I don't know. We haven't, I mean, we still got to talk about it, but I'm hoping <laughs> to at least get one day. Like, like a day and a half yeah, probably like is what get it's down be. on Saturday. Season opens on a, a Monday. Monday. Okay. And then scout Saturday, 
afternoon, evening, scout Sunday, and then have a good plan going in for opening day. Because like you say, everything changes after opening day, right? In or is that in rifle more season. rifle season? Yeah. Okay. In rifle season, I have my opening day plan, and then I have the rest of the season plan. In archery season, I don't. Yeah, it all depends do. on the area. I mean, yeah. I've definitely yeah. seen areas that get hit hard yeah. opening day that will change, but yeah. Yeah, not as dramatic as in rifle season. No, definitely. I don't think. So you're going to go down there. We're going to put together a plan. Yeah. You're going you're gonna to put it together, and I get to be the critic. Yeah. Yep. All right. This is going to be a YouTube series, folks. On Axe, last year we did this 12, was it 12 episodes of East a lot. Well, they asked us, refresh that or kind of give it new context. So we thought, well, here we got Michael. He's two years removed from the Midwest. This is really your first. Second year elk hunting, like for myself. But yeah, I mean, it's not like I have a ton of experience like you guys do. So, But it's also your first really out of state. Good out of state tag limited entry yeah you gotta yeah yeah so you guys are gonna go for five days in the pre-rut great time to kill little bulls yeah are you? <laughs> yeah Corey, Corey jacobson, <laughs> not big ones Corey jacobson <laughs> would argue that no that's the time to kill the big one well they're they're just, yeah i mean i guess they're they're hard to call in i i think yeah Marcus just kills the first one. So yeah. <laughs> if if the first one that came in was big ones, he would have just said, oh, no, that's when he killed the big ones. But <sighs> have you ever passed on an archery season, Marcus? Not really. The yeah. only time I ever did is when Kara, my wife, was hopefully going to get a shot. Okay. And then I didn't shoot. Yeah, but that's you, only you, happened you a couple times. You tell one other story about when you shot. When well, she fumbled, then you shot anyhow. Well, she she let one get away, and then I didn't let, I didn't let the second one get away about half hour later. <laughs> oh, I just want to keep you. I wanted to start out if that those stories, since they there was some contradiction there. I just want to see which story we were hearing today. I'm like, how many times have we heard those stories driving down the road, Michael? Uh, quite a bit. We all we all tell the same stories over and over. Yeah. It seems like so. <clears throat> I don't think there's any period in the elk calendar where their behavior changes so dramatically over such a short period of time as the pre-rut. They go from almost a food pattern in the early season, food and water, to those become almost insignificant and it's just breeding over the course of five to seven days. It's like, whoom. You look at all the other transitions that go from peak rut to post-rut or post-rut to late season, those are way more gradual in the, the behaviors and their needs. They move and they shift in priority, but not anywhere near like that week you're hunting. So all your scouting might be for nothing. We'll see. What, what you find on <laughs> August 31st for elk is going to be way different than what they're doing on September 5th. Yeah, that's going to be the challenge, I think. But you told me you'd kill one the second day. I will. I've, I'm hoping to. I that first elk that comes out in range is, is in trouble. Bull what, elk. What's range? Like 20, 30 yards. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so what we're trying to do is replicate this whole process, the e-scouting and everything, to be as close to what our audience would encounter if they lived in wherever that's, you know, don't have elk out their back door. And they had to pick this, okay, I've got one week between family and work, I got to come and make it happen. And so 
that's what we're trying to replicate. But well, and it will be a complete <laughs> replication too, because I, I mean, I've never been down there. I know, I know you have been probably in the area. Marcus mm-hmm. may have been in the area at some point, but I've never been there. I've never set foot down there, and quite frankly, don't really have plans of going down there except for the day or two before season. So, yeah. so have you been looking it up on Onyx? Oh yeah. Yeah, I think I have an idea. <laughs> yeah. I think I have an idea of where I want to go. Yeah. But um. every time you walk into the office, Michael's in, and he's got his headset on. He's at, he's supposedly editing, and he can't hear anything because he's got headphones on. You look, and he's over there drilling in his on X on his big screen. He's just taking screenshots for YouTube videos. Oh, yeah, oh, right. yeah, yeah. Okay, of the same editing. place in Wyoming all the time. Uh, <laughs> so. We'll, we'll continue down that path of your hunt, Michael, and then we'll circle back to some of these other calendar phases about finding them and stuff. But if you don't fill your tag, I don't want to be the downer. Yeah. I'm just saying that the odds, if, if yeah. you're within the, the bell curve, you've got probably 20% odds of filling your tag on that unit. Yep. So that means you got an 80% chance you're not going to fill your tag. Yeah. But you got the best caller, yeah. Marcus. I don't know about I don't know about the best caller. Okay, you got a great caller, Marcus. <laughs> He's the best. You've got the best gear. Yeah, that's right. I'm pretty good archery shot, I think. Okay. Uh, we got Mike, all that. Mike's pretty good with the bow. Knock on wood. Okay, we got all that. <laughs> and what else is in your favor? Um that I get to go back. Uh, <laughs> That's it. It's a, so, also a rifle tag. <laughs> so if Michael doesn't shoot the first elk, like he says, people are going to see this on the YouTube day by day. So now they're going to hear Michael says, I'm shooting the first bull that comes by. I am. If you pass, am I supposed to, as the owner of this enterprise that has to make payroll and rent and pay the utilities, am I supposed to incur another $1,000 a day for you guys to be down there in rifle season? I think so. It'll be a good example for your for your periods of elk. I feel like we both have some quote-unquote vacation days. If we have to, we'll take our vacation days. But that, that doesn't count for gas and film permit fees and... No, I think I think it'll be but, good content. But no, I think I think it's 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 really good because some people who have your tag aren't coming out in archery season because Wyoming has that weird system where you can hunt September with a bow and then once your rifle season opens, I, I believe it's October first. Ooh, I'm pretty yeah, sure. So. I'm yeah. pretty sure. So you get to where October 1st, that's where the peak rut is starting to transition to post rut. But there's still a lot of rutting activity oh, going yeah. on then. That's almost, look at him smile. <laughs> that's, that's almost not fair. Yeah, it'd be too easy. Well, you gotta, what, I think you should just like you, self-impose, like wait another 10 or 15 days before you go back. Is that just doesn't seem yeah. fair to be able to hunt him with a rifle on October 1st. Yeah. So we'll see what the schedule, where there's well, an Marcus opening. and I will be in British Columbia. Oh, yeah, so that's right. You aren't okay. going to have the caller with you. Yeah, that's all right. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Michael's I pretty can, damn good call. with a bugle. I'd say, like, okay. cow calls, yeah. All right. I think I could call one and yeah. maybe. <laughs> you called some in last Definitely year. With you, the, called, you called mm-hmm. in some bulls last year. Yeah. So you, what, if you don't fill that tag, you're going to go back and you're going to replicate what a rifle hunter would be doing if they had your tag. And you're going to go there where the peak rut is transitioning to the post rut. And I'd say you're still, if the bell curve of the peak rut extends four weeks... You're about, you're still got a week 
or 10 days of strong bugling and running activity after your opener. Yeah. If you had the tag, would you go down for archery or would you go for, if you said you only have five days? I'd go archery. Would you? Mm-hmm. Well, and it opens, mm. one thing too, is it opens <coughs> seven days before Montana season. Yeah. So it's but, like, I, if it's September, I got to go hunting elk. You know, I got to yeah. go hunt some elk. But I, put yourself in the shoes of the guy from Ohio where yeah. you grew up. Yeah. He, I, can't, he can't, He he's saying, I, if I'm driving that far, I want to have something to show for it. Yeah, I would still probably go in archery season. Okay, just cool. being, just being, especially prior to when I came out here, I I did thought rifle hunting was you know not as cool as archery hunting. Yeah, but now I love. I mean, like after last year, I love rifle hunting. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I I probably would still come out at some point in September. Yeah, uh, and try and hunt with with my bow. Why did you pick the first week of archery season instead of the middle of the rut? Um. Like I said, I want to go archery hunting yeah. when I can't go hunting in Montana. Oh, okay. So if you lived in Ohio and you had the whole, you weren't complicated guess, by well, the Montana and, opportunity. And I want to get the first crack at them. Like I want to, really? I want to be the first, you know, I want to be out there opening day right at first light. Get, going you think after that's them. important with the bow? I, I just, I don't know. I, Honestly, I just say yeah, that. What do you I'm think, not sure. Marcus? Yeah. Depends on the area. I have no idea. I feel like there's not going to be that many people no, out there on opening either. day. But no. I think it's either going to be we're going to be in them and like ready to go, or we're going to be like I don't know where they're at. <laughs> they're kind of like where they're at, right? <laughs> they're where you find them. Okay. <laughs> no, are you going to find them where they are? Yeah, that's the that's, that's the, <laughs> the problem. Is sometimes where you find them is on private land. Yeah. That's true. That is true. But they are there for a reason. That but, nice green alfalfa. <laughs> that could be that. It could be the fact that they're not getting there shots fired at them or <laughs> yeah, whatever yeah. but they are there for a reason they're not finding us for oh i want to be on camera so <laughs> let me walk over there i saw some dudes with some cameras uh, so so you're gonna do that um you drew an elk tag too in wyoming when's yours it starts october 1st but there's like two acres of public land so, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why I should get it as a second choice <laughs> and not burn my points. Now, if anyone knows anything about Unit 125 in Wyoming, uh, <laughs> I'm going to be able to tell you a little bit about it by mm, end of January because they convert it to a cow tag. I think I think it's either sex until the end of December, and then. It, or the end of November, one or the other, and then it goes to cow only. But no, there's about, I looked, there's accessible BLM sections of about six or eight scattered sections out there that you can get to. It's just all checkerboard. Mostly private with a little bit of checkerboard. Checkerboard yeah, state. There, yeah. yeah. So, but Marcus told me when he was antelope hunting one day, he decided to drive out there and there's a 340 inch bull standing on a. I mean, he wasn't 340, but he's a solid 320 bull. Oh, I, <laughs> I shoot 320 bulls really. I, I don't even hesitate with it. something like that. Yeah. So I have one, Michael, but yeah, I, I think mine, we're going to go down in January and we're going to cow hunt it. Cool. Sweet. Just Sounds like fun. Good chill people. Because we get a lot of requests for cow elk hunting. And I think it's great. I love that people are cow elk hunting and I 
think we need to make a more concentrated effort to do some of it. Um, do you think there's a, is there, does media like we do, does it create a stigma for people? Oh, I just shot a cow. I would feel terrible if anyone watched our content and left with the impression that, oh, I just, just shot a cow or all I shot was a cow. I would. I'm sure it does. I don't know. I mean, I, I think, think people get that yeah. idea. I've really? never really cared though. I've shot some, plenty of cow elk. Yeah. Not plenty, but. Well, yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I, all the hunters that I know would have no problem shooting yeah, a cow. Me either. But I do feel like that there are some stigmas like coming out of the t- old school TV world, maybe okay. that, uh, you know, Oh yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm just out here to shoot the biggest bull. I don't yeah. care about, yeah. you know, like that kind of stuff. But, well, that's why they're still on TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the people watching them are older and grayer than I am. I can say that. I can pick on old gray people all I want now because you're one when, of them. When, when you get as old and gray as I am, you can. You, I mean, pretty. I'm going to be 55 in November. I'm going to get my AARP membership. <laughs> we're we're going to be on the road, and I'm going to ask for the senior citizen discount. And you guys are going to be like, "Oh my god!" <laughs> but anyhow, so you got that. You're thinking. You're you're gonna beg for five days of vacation the yeah. first part of October. Probably, we'll, we'll see. So how I are mean, we gonna I, administer if, that, Marcus? We're gonna be gone. Yeah, we'll be gone, so he can do whatever he wants. Yeah, <laughs> am I gonna have to send my wife down here to check on you and make sure you only took five days? Uh, I don't know. I'll probably be good. I'm, you know, I'm a pretty honest guy. <laughs> <laughs> Even when elk are involved. Yeah. No. No. So assume that you don't get one then. Then what are you going to do? How late does your season run? Uh, I think that there's, a, I don't want to yeah, don't quote it, but I know that there's a gap there like for a week or so. Mm-hmm. And then I can go back from, uh, I think it's, it's in November, like in December. November and December, honestly. Ooh, it's a long, I mean. See, that's the late yeah. season. If, if I had that tag, I'd be going I know the first week of December. <laughs> All those bowls are going to be just stacked up yeah. in bachelor groups, kind of like Matthew's hunting last year. That's that was, what it's going to be was like. Ridiculous. You're going to be out there in the winter grounds and everyone else is going to be out of your hair <laughs> and all these bulls are going to be over there just stretching and walking over to the grass and, oh man, I'm glad hunting season's over and they're going to be <laughs> visible and you don't want to hunt then. No, I'm not saying I don't want to hunt then, but uh, I don't know. I, I really, one of my goals in life Mm-hmm. is to kill an archery elk. Oh, that's a great goal. So you'll do that. If I can do that, that's that's priority one. But cool. It is a good tag and you know, on yeah, I, I think I got a lot of thinking to do about this. I haven't really thought about it this hard uh, until right now, except for uh, all like the, the scouting I've done and, yeah. and whatnot. But um I've kind of just had it in my head that like I really want to kill one with my bow. Yeah. I hope you do. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not sure how we're going to handle it if you don't. Yeah. You got any advice for him, Marga? I, I was trying to think. Have we, Michael and I, when we go on trips together, things usually work out pretty well. Yeah. Right? You better knock on that wood, though. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've ever not been successful, right? Uh, Just saying. Uh, I mean, all that somebody. Bear, all that bear hunting? Well... Well, I consider we never it successful gone, to see a bear when we go that's out. That's true. But, but we've never gone out for more than like an afternoon. Oh, okay. Like when we got on a trip. Okay. No, you guys, I have no doubt you'll be just tripping over them. 
Oh, <laughs> I hope I hope we see some. I hope we get in range with some. Okay, so that's. <clears throat> I sent you that script or that outline. Yeah. For the e-scouting series we're gonna do. Mm-hmm. Uh, of those five periods, early season, you don't have to worry about that. But there, the priority is food, food, and more food. So you'd find the best food on the landscape, and that's where you'd look for them in August. But in this pre-rut, when they're going from food to breeding, mm-hmm. have you thought through what places well, you're going to look? Um, because I would think you want to find, find them yeah. where they are. Yeah, <laughs> and I think that where they are are going to be. I th- I would think around like cow groups, groups of cows, like mm-hmm. try and where the cows are would probably be where the where the best feed is. I would yeah. assume. So, yeah. um, I'm I think that's what we're gonna try and do is is go and at least that and during that scouting day is find elk and hopefully there's you know groups of cows around them. Yeah, it's hard not being there before too because yeah. like like we said earlier, maybe the best food is some alfalfa field that they've mm-hmm. yeah. become habituated to. Yeah. But other times that there will be alfalfa fields right there, but they still choose to be somewhere else. on the yeah. natural. Yeah. And I guess hopefully if that is the case, we hope that they're, you know, like bedding or something know, on the public, on the yeah. public. And then we could cut them off. I guess would be like my knee jerk reaction plan. Yeah. But. So one of the things I do when I have a, a tag in a place I've, never been to or not that familiar with it. There's a ton of research out there from universities, from state agencies, from federal agencies about uh, what wildlife have as forage. And a lot of those are done because they're analysis related to grazing allotments for domestic grazing. Of mm-hmm. How is this competition? Is, does it create competition? And da, da, da. And so... But I, I think you're exactly right, in my experience anyhow, is that these bulls are going to be near cows and cows are going to be near the best food. So you're kind of hunting a food pattern mm-hmm. even in September because without any food, you're or to find cows, you got to find food, and you're not going to find any bulls without cows. Right. I mean, have you ever in September run into bulls that were just like way off, away from nowhere with... Without being Not more in. than like a couple miles. I mean, I've yeah. seen like you know, first of September. Yeah. Occasionally, you find bulls mile, two miles away, but there's always yeah. gonna, there's some. They're near the cows, yeah. you know, relatively. Yeah. You ever seen the uh, the Charlie Brown Lucy comics? <laughs> I mean, I've, I I know who you're talking about when you say Charlie Brown, but <laughs> <laughs> so there's a character in there called Pigpen. He's always got the cloud of dirt around him. Like, like he stinks and smells like one of those homeless people I ran into in Portland last week. It's just like this cloud of, I don't know, just filthy stench. Well, that's kind of like the bulls. Pigpen is a group of cows going across the landscape. The bulls are this cloud of like bad odor. <laughs> And you young guys, really, I see this is not working on people your age, but for people my age listening, they're going to be like, oh, yeah, Pigpen, I remember him. Uh, anyhow, I got, I got you. I, the, the cows are moving across the landscape, and the bulls are on that periphery, and that periphery might be right in them to half a mile away. And so I've oh, the reason I bring it up is most of the times where I find out what the best food is on the landscape is going to those research 
papers. Right. And, and just the best way to find those is just Google search and... What does Marcus say? Google is your friend? Yeah, Google Scholar if you want those peer-reviewed articles. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But they're pretty intensive. That's the downside for me is those people, like Marcus has this fish and wildlife degree, they use all these Latin terms and stuff. And that's when <laughs> right. I got to copy and say, search Google. You, go, you read the introduction, skip the methods, <laughs> and go right to the discussion and the results. Yeah, that's what okay. I do. Don't, don't, you know, confuse yourself with that method section. Yeah, <laughs> all that method of how it was arrived at, I don't care. Like, I trust you. Yeah. yeah. I mean, like, I'm going to argue with some PhD that, no, that's not how you do transects to determine if the sage is encroaching on the fish to, I'm an accountant, man. Get me to the summary. And, uh, but then the other thing, Google image, because sometimes you're out there, you're like, you don't know this grama grass from fish from whatever. You click on images, and mm. I save them. Like, I did not know for years what this one plant in Arizona was that I saw elk eating. It's clistros. Mm. And thanks to Google Images, oh, that's what that looked. Well, yeah, that's where the elk were. <laughs> so. That's actually a really good piece of advice. I need to do that. Like, I'm always wondering what these... There is a really good there. app. I can't remember the name of it. We used to use it when I, when I did a lot of plant ID work. Yeah, I'm trying. It's like I can't remember the name of it. But there, if you look up plant app, plant plant identification app, I bet there's something. Really? Yeah. Because it's for me the the importance of that is there are times. Say you're in central Montana. There, there's not always just this perfect monoculture of forage there. There's seasonal things where they're moving to this or to that or focusing on something different. And I want to know, all right, what the year, the time of year I'm there hunting, what's of these priority foods are going to be a greatest abundance? And do I find them at higher elevations, lower elevations? Do I need to look on northeast facing slopes? There's a lot of that goes into the little nuances of finding where they ain't first. <laughs> I mean, because that time of year, in, in early September, how many times have you seen elk on south-facing slopes during the day? I don't know. I mean... Close to zero for me. I'm trying to think. Yeah, yeah. I've never... I guess I probably haven't paid attention close enough to think about it, yeah. Oh. You see, you haven't had as many failures as I have then. <laughs> But the the point of that is a lot of this is limiting where they're not. Gotcha. And these foods, considering that elk are foragers and not browsers as a general rule, at least during these seasons, um, that's going to help you find that. You could take it to the next level, get out there, do some transects, start <laughs> yeah. identifying our plants. <laughs> But, <laughs> so I every range, every BLM range scientist is going to hate me for this. But those are the people you want to be talking to. Okay. I'll have to look up who, who it is. Look up those range cons in that area. Yeah. <laughs> they know this stuff. Uh, at least if it's on BLM. I mean, even the forest guys. My they, dad was a range con yeah. for years. Yeah. I remember he, he would identify people's elk they would look at like a kill photo like someone took their trophy photo and he could like look at the plants in the photo but know where they were wow 
that, but that's no, that's really it's a, that's really a cool thing to know yeah, because that's right. how specific elk can be. All right, we see this big landscape and it all kind of looks the same. Why are elk always in this little pocket over here in that little drainage while everything else looks the same? Kind of to your dad's point, they're exactly here because this grows there. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I mean, now, now yeah. there's going to be people that instead of just worrying about their geo whatever on their pictures, they're going to be like, oh, I'm going to crop out anything that is vegetation. Or, all the- <laughs> or Brian Hawkins going to be out there identifying where I was hunting. <laughs> <laughs> that that must be an, a, skill, a skill acquired. Yeah, start killing years. elk like in some like white bark pine or something. Everyone's there's just like. No white, no white bark pine left, so they're going to know exactly where you're at. Uh, so that's uh, that's a great resource. Yeah. Uh, and, and all these BLM people are probably like, Newberg, I got enough things to deal with, with fire season, with grazing permits, da-da-da, don't be sending them my way. But there's also a lot of their reports are online. And same with the state agencies when they're doing their researches. Researchers. <laughs> Research, research, yeah. Mm. I, I'm, I'm developing a gooder has just about become part of the U.S. vernacular. I'm going to take credit for that when gooder becomes a real word. <clears throat> so, then we're moving to October, Michael. It's not that much different than pre-rut. Okay, you agree? So they're just like coming off the post or peak rut, and yeah, start. They're still probably hanging around the cows, but they're not really as intense during the peak rut. Yeah, as, until you get one of those late cycle cows that comes and there's 12 bulls following one mm-hmm. cow. It's like, man, <laughs> tough day to be you, lady. <laughs> some, <laughs> of the, some of the best hunting I had last year was during that like mm-hmm. early part of October, the first, yeah, first week The first week of October, and I feel like it's almost more towards like the 10th yeah. on yeah. when they, because the, the big bulls start to leave, and then some of those satellite bulls come in. There's always there's going to be bulls with the herd yeah. until, yeah, I don't know. Late October. Yeah, probably. Yeah. Or until you really start hammering them with rifles. Rifles, yeah. But, yeah, I've I've seen some really big bulls with cows October 5th or 8th or whatever. Oh, yeah, it's, for sure. And it seems like if you can find that cow, because most of them, if you think about the gestation period and the fact that they want to drop their calves in that two-week window in late May. Well, the gestation period shows that that pulse of pregnancies happens within about a two-week period. Well, it's not like the bulls just turn off the switch. Oh, two weeks is up. Mm, darn. All of a sudden, <laughs> here comes Betty Lou strolling through there, man, and she's smelling pretty good. And those guys are like, oh, boy, time to get up out of this bed, man. Go show off a little bit here. Uh, and I think they go crazier and act stupider when there's fewer estrus cows than when the whole herd is like right there. Uh, yeah. That, that's been see, my experience. That, yeah. I've I've seen some pretty old bulls acting really, really stupid in early October. Heck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you can hunt them with a rifle. Yeah. I know. That's be, not fair. Don't yeah. you feel guilty about that? Not really. I mean, I feel guilty I drew the tag in general because I had really low odds, but I yeah. mean. So in Wyoming, so here's what Michael did. You had what, one point? One, uh, yeah, one point. One point. But Wyoming, 75% of the tags go based on points. And then the other 25% go on random, just anybody who didn't draw in the 
preference point draw. And you drew one of the two or three tags in the random part of that. You should feel guilty. (laughs) (laughs) You should feel guilty because you were a big part of that. (laughs) Helping me do, or pretty much doing all the research. Yeah. This guy loves drawing tags more than anything. (laughs) More than hunting. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) It's just a necessary part of going hunting. But no, it's it's cool that, that you drew it. Marcus and I put in for the same unit. Yeah. Yep, I just got lucky. Yeah. So that means you're carrying the flag, man. That's good. I'll do my best. (laughs) So, Michael, all the pressure is on your shoulder because what if you and I sit down and we do a full e-scouting for early season? We do a full e-scouting for this transition from peak rut to post-rut. And we do a full e-scouting session for late season, and you don't fill this tag. Our entire brand, all that we preach, all that we talk about is going to be looked at as just a bunch of... Horse hockey. That is the way, yeah, that just put a lot of weight on my shoulders. I wasn't feeling it until like just about five seconds ago. I mean, we're probably going to lose most of our sponsors if you don't. Oh, man. And that means no paychecks. (laughs) No paychecks? Oh, man. means this room is going to be empty and hollow. I'm going to have to rent this. My wife's going to rent this building to someone else when we... Crap. No pressure. Yeah. I wasn't feeling it, like I said, until about 10 <laughs> seconds ago now. <laughs> uh, no. So then we go to, if you go in late season, that's like the easiest time to find elk. Yeah. If you can't find elk in November, late November and December, you probably didn't leave the truck. You just <laughs> sat down at the coffee shop all morning. That's well, my theory. A lot of times you don't even have to leave the truck. You just have to use your glass. I know. <laughs> we found that out in Wyoming last year in the late oh, season. Oh yeah, for sure there. But even even in general units, just like yeah. they might be ten miles away, but you can see them up on those ridges. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, the late season's a little easier, so <clears throat> we'll move on to the next topic. But hopefully, listeners are following how we approach this. That we look at the five calendar periods, and we know that. In each of those five calendar periods, there are four different needs that change in priority throughout those five periods. So food, water, sanctuary, or survival, whatever you want to call it. And then there's the seasonal need of just cows breeding. So every calendar period, one might be a higher priority than the other. Focus on that highest priority. And that is where they are. They are not where you find them. They are where they can satisfy that priority need they have. So you're going to find them where they are satisfying that need. Michael's just over there nodding his head like, I believe it. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and Marcus is over there rolling his eyes. So Michael's nodding his head. Marcus is rolling his eyes like, this is so much BS. Why did no, he it's make- true. But I mean, like, no matter what time of year, you can always have the wrench you, thrown in of mm-hmm. pressure, which oh, I mean, I think yeah. you talk about with like, especially in post-rut and late season, they yeah. sanctuary. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's avoiding you, pressure. Or how right? do you, and, yeah, using the hunting pressure to, yeah, to your advantage. But even I think in, the, you know, in the archery season and when they're, they want to be around that best food, you don't, it's hard to know what happened like the previous week before you were there. Or, mm-hmm. you know, who knows? There could have been some backpackers in that basin that were, you know, being loud and just pushed everything out. Otherwise, the elk would be there. But yeah, it's this, there's always like, I just, it's a constant, 
Like you might have done your research perfectly, and there could have been out there, but someone was in there the day before and screwed everything up. So, yeah, no, I mean I, that's like the that's like the thing. Like sometimes they're just everything is perfect and they should be there. There's no pressure. The food's great. There's great water, whatever, but they're just not there. Yeah, and that's why when there, we put these plans together, we have what plan A, B, C, D, yeah. E, F, whatever. And then Tragic. a lot of people ask, how long do you give each plan? I'm like impatient anymore. I, I kind of like when I'm walleye fishing. If those fish don't bite within 15 minutes, hell with them. They're carp and I'm on to the next spot. Same with elk. I, Other than sometimes our filming forces me to stay there longer. Like yeah. some of our late rifle hunts, like that one with Jerry. Yeah, so, and, and the fact that we saw a huge bowl in that Yeah, in that area. so many people are like, why would you sit on the same rock for five days in a row? Well... If you saw what we saw, yeah. and we did see a yeah, bull every day, Yeah, right? we did see bulls in there every day. It was just... Uh, didn't was, always work out. Yeah, it just didn't work out. But to your point, Marcus, this is a... It's a funny story now, but at the time it was borderline tragic. Greg Bush, a friend of mine, draws a Unit 1 Arizona archery tag. And Greg is an excellent hunter and just shot so many fine animals with his bow. He's like, would you come down and film it? Yeah. So we show up. Greg's been there scouting for five days. And right on the White Mountain Reservation, he's got pictures of just these massive bulls coming off the reservation into Unit 1 on the Forest Service. And he's like, Whew. when season opens on Saturday, this, is just, this isn't even going to be fair. <laughs> Friday afternoon, unknown to us, uh, whatever that county is over there, uh, anyhow, the Springerville Eager Chamber of Commerce has an ATV jamboree that starts <laughs> that Saturday. <laughs> Perfect. And, yeah. So we go out there opening morning and it's like, wah, wah. there are headlamps, headlights this is on every hill, every trail. I'm like, Greg, I think you just got the green weenie here, man. This is <laughs> so, like you said, is it? Everything was perfect. The scouting, the, mm -hmm. the advanced research. Greg's all excited. And opening morning, it's the ATV jamboree. <laughs> In fact, I took a picture of it. And I'm like, yeah, posted it out on our hunt talk forum. Here you go. This is what happens when you have the best plan you've ever heard of. Someone starts an ATV jamboree right where you've done your scouting. Yeah, that's brutal. Yeah. You want to hear a more brutal story about that hunt? Sir. As camera guys. <laughs> so back in the day, the Canon XHA1 or whatever it was mm -hmm. had standard def and high def. Yeah. Uh, no. And I'm not going to throw, there were two camera guys with me from my prior production company. I'm not going to throw the one under the bus, but <laughs> one of the two had his camera in standard mm. and didn't know it. <laughs> and we left there and went to Colorado to film a bighorn sheep hunt. And on the first day, we swapped out one of the other camera guys. And he looks over to this, he's like, why are you shooting on SD? And the guy's like, huh? <laughs> he came to me the next day. He's like, I got to apologize. I shot the whole last hunt on standard def. And the network wouldn't take it. Oh, man. <laughs> brutal. That's not good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's brutal to spend. I mean, that we were with Greg for I don't know how long. We imposed on him. It was, he was so patient. The day after we leave, he shoots a bowl. I think it netted 347. Oh, dang. Like oh, oh, just man. dandy. 
once he didn't have us dragging along and scaring <laughs> everything away, he got the job done right away. And I think the ATV jamboree was over. By then, <laughs> that's uh, hilarious. So that's a little side detail to how our life gets complicated by so much of this stuff. Can, our new cameras, you can't put them on SD, can you? You can't put them on SD, but it would be like oh, putting you them could. in. You could? Oh, yeah. They go down to like real low resolution if you want them to. Oh, but I, I, I don't even know we could do that. <laughs> let, let Just it leave be, it on 4K. Let it be said <laughs> yeah. right here. If anyone goes down to low resolution that Amazon won't take, there's probably an unemployment situation oh, yeah. associated with that. <laughs> All right. But, no, the guy felt terrible. And in fact, the first day of the sheep hunt in Colorado... We couldn't use any of his footage that day either oh, because geez. it was all SD. And we'd taken my Titan. If you've ever, if you go to Empire, Colorado, there's a place called, <laughs> this is funny, Republican Mountain is right next to Democrat Mountain. Perfect. And in the Georgetown unit, that's where most of the sheep are. Well, the road to get up there, Nissan needs to go and make a commercial of that. <laughs> so we're going up there and there's some guys that the tag holder knew who wanted to come with us and they had a Honda Ridgeline. Is that what their old pickup version? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I think so. So we're going up there, and my Titan is loaded to the gills, and it's so sketchy. I'm like, uh, this truck is uh, with all this weight. Where I'm taking my seatbelt off. I'm like, man, I'm gonna bail if this thing goes. And <laughs> and all of a sudden, the guys behind us in the ridge line are clicking their lights. Uh, what kind of lame old thing is this? They didn't know it at the time, but the ridge line, if you are at too steep of an angle, the transmission has a sensor in it that you could run the transmission dry, and it stops right in the middle of a steep hill. <laughs> and it's a truck. Yeah. So, <laughs> and quote, they can't go. Quote, truck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, I was skeptical of that cruddy little thing when they first showed up with it. I'm like, you know, whatever, okay. And I think they carried a six-pack of beer is all they had in it or something. I got everything <laughs> else in my truck. Well, what little they did have, we backed down the hill, pull off on a wide spot, unload their truck, and they're like, well, we'll just let it cool. And even after they let it cool, it was still parked on this steep grade. It wouldn't go. <laughs> so they had to get it turned around, and somehow they got it back down the hill. So I had to shuttle all this stuff in my truck. And we, it, it would have made the world's greatest Nissan commercial, except that camera filming all of this was on SD. Oh, man. When, oh, I, man. when I tell a lot of people that I drove my truck up there fully, I mean, like, you've seen how we load it. Mm -hmm. This was a long bed. It was like, oh. So, yeah, anyway, I don't know what that has to do with Alkine, but... <laughs> <laughs> How did we it, get there? It was a uh, standard definition oh, yeah. camera. Oh, from an Elcon, yeah. yeah. So don't, right. whatever okay. you do, don't shoot in SD. Yeah. 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 And make sure you have a plan when the the ATV jamboree comes into town. <laughs> 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 so what's the other myths that everyone has about Elkine? Moon phases. I was out last night. It's full moon phase right now. Was yeah. it last night or the night before? night before? We have to hunt through moon phases. It doesn't really matter to us. And yeah. I cannot see any change in our success for deer or for elk based on moon phase. Yeah, I mean, I think you can make it a self-fulfilling yeah. prophecy if you just, like, yeah. are focused on that. I just don't try to pay attention to it. Yeah. No, I, for people who, who don't listen to our content or, or watch our content and just listen, we have a... a kind of a priority of what we blame things on 
I think a lot of hunters blame it on moon and then weather and wolves. Well, no, first wolves. Yeah. It's always wolves. Yeah. Yeah. So our priority and what we do is if something goes wrong, the first person to get blamed is a camera guy. Whether he's at fault or not, he was nearby and he could have, should have intervened and not allowed that situation to happen. So I tell our guest hunters, you know, if something goes south, just blame Marcus or Michael or Dan or whatever, or Tyler. It's, it's good. They know it. Second is wolves. Right. Yeah, we, oh, yeah. I mean, 100%. we live in Montana. If, you, if you're hunting where there are wolves, the default reply, the default scapegoat for elk hunters are wolves. Yeah. I just, yeah. Kind of That's how it is. Sense. You go down True. to a, a coffee shop or a bar, it's wolves. <laughs> I mean, it's. Dang, wolves. All I saw was wolf it, tracks. Went out elk gun. All yeah. I saw was wolf tracks. And then, in, <laughs> this comes from my family. So, I've got some uncles that are, <laughs> they're out there. <laughs> They'll let you, whether you want their opinion or not, you're going to get it. And they blame everything on Obamacare. <laughs> so the third level of fault after, if there's not a camera guy around and you're hunting someplace where there aren't wolves, well, then it's just that damn Obamacare. But I, the reason I tell that story is I think moon phase could almost be number four. Blame it on the moon phase. Yep. Doesn't Bob Seger have a song, Blame It on the Moon? I have no idea. Yeah, don't listen to Bob Seger. I would need to Google that. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, that's we, probably pretty good. We, we have two younger guys here watching also, <laughs> and they're, me, they're looking at me like, I don't know. I don't, I, don't, I don't know. So there's five of us in the room, and I'm the only one who knows who Bob Seger is. What's his most famous song? Oh, there's all kinds of Bob Seger and the Silver Bullet Band. Have you ever seen the Chevy commercial, Like a Rock? Oh. <sighs> Probably. I've seen a lot of Chevy commercials. That's Bob Seger. It's shame on the moon. I Googled it. Shame on the moon. There (laughs) you go. I I had blame it on the moon in my mind. All right. See, Marcus Googled it. So anyhow, blame it on the moon is kind of the next thing. Do you think there's any validity to it? I don't know. I mean, I think I can see potentially the elk are more active a little bit later, but I don't think it makes that much of a difference. If it's good, it's good. And if it's bad, it's bad. Yeah. My theory is that when you can see that full moon, it's usually clear, no cloud cover, and it's hotter than hell usually in September when it's clear like that. Mm-hmm. And it's a function more of the temperature that, you know, if you're a 800-pound bull, you got you already got some of your winter coat on. You don't want to be running around in that heat when you can run around at night. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and that's my theory. I, when people tell me moon phase, and Corey's probably going to, come here and thump yeah, me because Corey's say. a pretty big believer in moon phase. <laughs> and whenever someone asks us the question, I'm like, well, who wants to take it? Because we know we're going to have a divergence of opinion there. It, it's such a thing that it's on the, the Garmin GPS, like mm-hmm. like your, the standard screen, it's like hunting fish and you click it yeah. and it's like going to tell you if it's a good or bad day. Yeah. It's like based on the moon. Yeah. So well, that's big into <laughs> fishermen think the same thing, and same with like pressure, like barometric pressure. Oh, yeah, I, I believe in barometric pressure. Moon phase, I think, is just BS. Mm. That I don't know about the theory. fishing thing. I but have zero idea on that. There, one. There's a guy who he comes to my house to get water for the leeches. He only lives three miles away. His well water kills his leeches. Supposedly <laughs> mine doesn't. I don't know what the deal is. But Bruce is a f- fanatic about fishing in moon phases. Oh, I'm not going to go. The moon phase isn't good. Yeah. Like, well, I'm going. 
<laughs> Do you know if is it like if it's a full moon? He just thinks they're feeding he- way heavier on, I, at night. I'm and, not sure. I, I I think it's so much horse crap. I haven't even asked <laughs> if it's full moon, new moon, quarter moon, whatever. Huh. Yeah, you, realize, I don't know. you realize how much hate mail we're gonna get over this? That's fine. It's good. We can talk about it. <laughs> All these people's opinions. <laughs> <laughs> yes, this last 10 minutes you've heard is strictly opinion. There is no fact to support it, no fact to debunk it. It's merely opinion. I just think it's, I mean, like, people love to make excuses not yeah. to go hunting. And I think mm-hmm. that's one of the biggest things is yeah. if you just spend a ton of time outside, that's going to increase your chances of success, regardless mm-hmm. of moon phase or if there's a bunch of wolves or yep. whatever it is. If you're outside, if you're not outside, you're definitely not going to kill an elk. Yeah. So (laughs) here's the analogy I use is the guy who only wants to hunt in some supposed perfect moon phase is like the guy who only goes and shoots his bow or his rifle when there's no wind and no humidity. Exactly. 20 yards, 30 yards. Yeah. And then when he gets out there, he can't make that. 250-yard rifle shot because he doesn't have a perfect rest and there's a little bit of wind and it's a downhill angle. Or he can't make that 25-yard archery shot because, oh, well, I had to lean a little bit. Well, to me, that's kind of like saying, I'm not going elk hunting because the conditions aren't perfect. Well, if you can have encounters in the worst and most imperfect conditions, you're, you're probably learning a lot because you're probably going to have more failures. Yep. Just, just think how easy it's going to be when it's perfect condition. It's, it's yeah. like that with everything in life. Like, just like, if you like go hiking around Bozeman or like, I'm going to go backpacking this weekend. Mm-hmm. I bet you there's going to be no one out there no, because there's a winter, a new there's a winter there. weather advisory <laughs> and no one's going to go out and I'm going to be up there by myself and it's going to be great. And it's just, I mean, it's like in, with everything, people mm-hmm. don't go running when it's crappy out, you know, it yeah. is. Yeah. It's everything. Yeah. It's so <laughs> I think they're just candy asses. <laughs> well, and there's probably some truth to that. It's, I mean, yeah. who wants to go? You know, I'm going fishing this weekend, and I know that I'm, I'm hoping that the place I have picked out to go camping, there's no no one's going to be there because it's going to be Crappy. cold and snowing, maybe. Yeah. So, so I don't know. I say go elk hunting all the time, anytime. Yep. If and you can go, do it. Yeah. And then if you shoot one in the full moon, go brag to your buddies. Make it sound like you even the fan. I'm badass, man. I'm shooting them in a full moon. Uh, there were some other questions. Oh, I got lit up on Hunt Talk because w- were you guys on the podcast when I talked about these white-tailed does in lockdown? The bucks are all locked down with those. Oh, were you, and how were you that? guys? Maybe. I don't know. We, we've talked I mean, I've about heard this, this all the time. Yeah. I'm yeah. like, that is the biggest bunch of horse shit. What <laughs> oh, the whitetail guys will, yeah, they I know. Oh, they lit me up, man. <laughs> I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I say there? I still think it's horse shit. <laughs> I'm it, with you. Yeah. It's like, so? <laughs> it, it happens. Stay out there and keep hunting. Pretty soon he's going to get his deed done and he... <laughs> Well, I had to be home, you know, I promised my wife I'd be home at 11 o'clock so we could go, Bubba. That sounds like a personal problem, not the whitetail lockdown with the doe problem. So, yeah, this uh, some of these things we're bringing up are probably going to get me in the same amount of hate mail. Yeah, uh, it, it cracks me up because, like, I the company I used to work for, we only filmed whitetail hunting, and and we killed most of our bucks in, like, the middle of the day during the rut when these bucks are locked down and uh 
They it's still just because no, no one's out there. Like, no, yeah, no <laughs> one's out there in the middle of the day. You know, they go hunt in the morning or they hunt yeah. in the evening, and nobody's out there yeah. in the middle of the day. Yeah. Yeah. No, so. I, I, the people who use that excuse, uh, I don't know what to tell them. I think they just they don't want to hunt that hard. Mm-hmm. Boy, I just said it there. I no, that's yeah. With, <laughs> with any, get an ass whoop in there. <laughs> like, sure, you can stack. I mean, you can stack the deck in your favor by going right. at those perfect times. Exactly, for but sure. it's like. Thinking back on just any animal in any situation, like less than half that I've killed have probably been at that perfect time. Mm-hmm. You know, the biggest elk I killed was in the middle of the day. Really? Yeah. Uh, with your bow? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Eagling like crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, it's just, it's just funny. I mean, yeah, you can stack the deck in your favor, but I think it's just... The more time you're out there, the yeah. odds you're gonna have. Yeah, yeah. No, I I agree 100. percent Biggest bull I ever killed was with my rifle, and it was at 11 in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, everyone else was headed back to the football game. Kickoff was 11 in the morning or whatever. And I, <laughs> fortunately for us, we this is quote unquote our work. So when it's your work, we're forced to have to hunt good condition, bad condition, you know, middle of the road, whatever. So we probably see some of it, and I think we come a little bit numb to it. It's just like, oh, we got to go do it. Yeah. And, I mean, I can see it too. Like, you only have your certain days you can go, so you want to go on those good days. But yep. even even mm-hmm. with just in the day that you are hunting, like, you know you have this weekend, like, instead of just hunting in the morning and the evening. Right, hunt yeah. all day. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. So do you suppose people listening are saying, well, yeah, I don't get to hunt 100 days. Yeah, that's that's yeah. where I was going with that. Is like, <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. <laughs> no, I if I only got to hunt five days a year, yeah, I'd try to pick the five days I thought conditions and everything else were the best. For sure. But what if that's what you do and then the ATV rally shows yeah, up? Yeah, exactly. In one of your five days or two of your five days. Mm-hmm. So... I'm well, you got to think that if you're thinking that, then there's probably a lot of other people that are thinking that. Like, I want to go this these five days because the moon is, you know, the the best during these five days, and it aligns pro- perfectly with like the peak rut or whatever. I mean, there's going to be a bunch of other guys and gals thinking the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it could almost be counterproductive. Yeah, potential, you know, it, potentially. Hmm. You guys should write the book. What? Do, why do I have a contract to write a book you guys i think, I think we need <laughs> like oh, my, my biggest new theory that i'm a yeah. big proponent of is hunting close to roads no yeah. I, because I'm, so many people are starting to hunt further away from roads in some places I'm that they push the that up. back towards the roads and no one likes to hunt like right right next to the road my goal is to shoot a, a city a city elk <laughs> <laughs> there, there's a couple of them out by my house. Like, there's about 40 of them. Because you went on a state section <laughs> yeah, in, in the field. city limits. Yeah. <laughs> but that, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Marcus, because in our post-rut and late season preachings, if you want to, however you want to call it, <clears throat> what we talk about is sanctuary mode. Mm-hmm. The number of people who come to me and say, yeah, it was peak rut, and I went so far back in there, I was way up in the wilderness area, there weren't any elk there. (laughs) Yeah, you walk by all of them. Yeah. Because in the peak rut, they don't really care. They're going to be where the cows are, and the cows are where the best food is. So I think people get this mindset of just way back, way back, way back for the sake of saying, I'm way back here. Right. 
Whereas there's times a year that that'll help you or at least put the odds a little more in your favor. But there's sometimes a year that that's you're walking by a lot of elk. And you also never know when the big horse camp's going to show up too and set up right next to you. Yep. Right, on Carson's hunt? Yep. <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, I mean. You hiked way back in there, and there's <laughs> there's big wall to yeah. it. It's like, oh, man, we saw the horse prints when we left the trailhead. Yeah. We should have thought about that. The, the, other, the other part of that, too, is if you, like, a lot of people who do like hiking, mm-hmm. they look at a map, and they see, oh, man, that place is loaded with roads. Mm-hmm. And so they don't go there. Mm-hmm. And only the, AT, but then only the ATV crowd's hunting that area. Yeah. And so you only have to hike quarter mile away from the road and you're away from everybody all right because the hikers the, are all back the hikers in the don't roadless go country there, in the, and the atv guys are exactly. boogling from their yamaha yeah <laughs> marcus is on to something <laughs> you're gonna test that theory out this year oh, i've tested it out the last few years <laughs> really well last year was a not not, not like that but yeah because it was uh a, two years ago kara killed her bull 200 yards from her road Really? Yeah. And that was like beginning of the season or was, was that? September 7th. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> well, that's, I, the reason I'm glad you brought that up is sanctuary and these whole roadless concepts we talk about have a lot of validity when most of the elk hunting is happening. To provide the greatest amount of opportunity with rifles, the states put most of those seasons in the post rut because those are the hardest times to kill a bull elk. And yeah, that's a time we're getting way back there in sanctuaries and rough country and steepness and all that, blow down. Those bulls go and find those places. But that doesn't mean in the peak rut or the pre-rut, mm-hmm. that's where they're at. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because I get it so much. And I'm, I bet people get tired of me asking them questions when they ask me a question. <laughs> If you listen to the Q&A podcast that Corey and I did for the Elk Talk podcast down in Boise last month, people would get up to the mic and ask a question and Rocky Mountain Hunting Call would give them a new elk call for being brave enough to ask a question in public. And Gerber would give them a free knife and then Corey and I would grill them with a whole list of other questions. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, what time of year? Okay, where at? Public, private. Uh, and I'm sure they're like, wait, I just came here to get an answer, man. I didn't. <laughs> I want to get grilled that way, but that's kind of how I approach this is asking a lot more questions of how ah, how much information or, or what information is there to help you make this decision and don't necessarily go to the default that I absolutely have to be eight miles back. Right. We're going to call it the Marcus Hawkins. What do you call it? Reverse pressure theory? <laughs> but did you have a name for it? Yeah, we were talking about it last year. I can't remember. Yeah, it was something like reverse... Or something theory. <laughs> the anti-Randy Newberg theory here. You're a contrarian. Let me guess. When you're when the world's investing in stocks, you're investing in bonds. I, I have no or idea. I, I don't put that much thought into my, my investing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Marcus is into hunting. He's not into investing. What I do. I, I finally have a retirement account, so I did invest in something. I think it was good. a mutual fund. That oh. sounds like that's what it was. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we're good. All right. <laughs> what other myths are out there that we could visit with or talk about? Or... Come on, Michael. Everybody's you, looking at me. You, yeah. I've only all hunted for one year. No, really. but you, you ask more questions than anybody I've ever hunted with. 
which is great. So now you're on the mic. You don't have any questions to ask. I don't really. Huh. I mean, I just think it's better to go hunting than not go hunting. So like yeah, in, any of those instances. Michael for president. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No? I'm I'm blank, guys. Okay. I don't have any. I guess the okay. moon phase so, and the pressure one are the only two yeah. things that could possibly. I mean, I don't know. It sounded like you believe in the pressure thing. Do you mm-hmm. believe in that for fishing or do you believe in that for hunting? Oh, you mean barometric? Like high, like barometric high pressure pressure? Like high-pressure days. Yeah, I'm not talking about like hunting pressure. I think we all know that has an effect on it. I think barometric pressure in fishing, you, you get a little bit of it. You know, if you've had the same high pressure hot weather all the time, you know, the fishing seems to taper off. But my theory is there's a fish out there somewhere that wants to bite. Yeah. And I keep looking for them. And I'm of the theory there is always an elk out in the woods that wants to be on camera. <laughs> and we keep looking for him. Yeah. Somehow, somewhere, you're going to find him in. You just got to be there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so, like, when I was doing the whitetail film and stuff, a lot of the guys that I filmed always believed that, like, as that peak in pressure comes, mm-hmm. that that's going to be your best hunting. And then as it falls, same same thing. But I also attribute that to, like, weather coming in and stuff. Right. So, I don't know. Yeah. I, my own, this is probably because my grandpa always said the same thing and my dad said the same thing, but change just prior to changes in weather or just after big changes in weather, probably have more animal movement than the peak or the valley. That's just old Finlander. I'm sure it makes sense. Mystery or not mystery, but uh, myth. So barometric pressure. I'm sure someone's going to chime in yeah. and let us know about. Let us know. <laughs> There's probably a study out there about barometric pressure related to elk movements. Yeah, and I've I've heard it talking. I've I've heard people talk about it on the fishing side a bunch, but I, like you said, I just I just go fishing. <laughs> I think you can I go hunt, and you could go down a rabbit hole worrying too much about that stuff. Though. Yeah, I that's, think that's my like, worry. The whole point is just like you mm-hmm. think about the moon. I mean, like yeah, you want to stack the deck, but. I don't know. I, I, I don't think about all that stuff and yeah. still seem to find out. <clears throat> well, there's a, an episode that we did in central Montana where we flew a helicopter into this private land and I arrowed the, my biggest archery bull. Mm-hmm. The moon was as full as full gets. And those bulls were bugling all day long on September 11th. Okay, I was about to say, I was going to play devil, devil's advocate. I'm like, well, you shot the bull right at last light. I did. <laughs> I did right <laughs> but at last light. they were bugling light. in the middle all, of the day. All day, but they're in yeah. private. It's like, get over here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> but nothing we could do about it. But well, you could glass them. And they were in their, laying in their beds bugling in the heat of the day. They uh-huh. just went to the most shaded place. And the small bulls would come through and they'd do their bugling. But if they got too close, the big old boy, he'd lean back and just really let it go. And it was fun to watch. Yeah. And in fact, Troy, the camera guy and I on that hunt, we were remarking so much for no activity in a full moon. (laughs) It was all day, every day. And we were... Back in those days, I I probably was a little more tied into the myths of moon phase. And I did, uh, I remember Troy and I talking about, oh boy, we picked a terrible time. It's going to be a full moon. 
And then he pointed out to me a few days later, yeah, so much for that full moon problem, huh? They're bugling all day long. Mm. So I don't know. Yeah, but, I think, and if, you know, if the if a bunch of the cows are hot right then, they're going to be right. going nuts regardless. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it, they're and, expending so much energy, you know, all all day, every day during right. that period. So. It, it almost implies that cows don't go into heat if there's a full moon. Yeah, that's... I mean, in my mind, when people tell me that, I'm like, really? So we're going to have this one-week window in the spring where no calves are born. Because, sorry, had a full moon at the wrong time last September, so none of the cows went into heat. When you put it in that context, that sounds pretty far out there. Yeah, for sure. At least in my mind. In your whitetail world, was the, the moon phase a big issue? Well, I found that a lot of whitetail hunters like to blame uh, a lot of things on a lot of different things. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there's guys who talk about it, but I mean, quite when I started hunting, I was in my twenties and or earlier, I'm still in my twenties, but <laughs> I was, you know, like twenty exactly, and I didn't. I just really didn't even think about that stuff. Yeah. Like I just didn't even think about it at all. So mm-hmm. I, I know guys do blame it on that stuff, but like like we've said already had i think it's a load of load of crap mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh yeah I, I definitely think guys blame it on that stuff yeah so marcus if you were given your choice and it doesn't matter what unit in the country for elk what dates would you go hunting hmm are you giving me a goal, like no, I'm just of like saying, saying, just killing an elk period, or am I trying I, to kill I'm the biggest, all biggest, the, all of the things of fun, food, size of the elk, number of encounters, for whatever whatever motivations you have for hunting elk. Five when, days. When are you, you had to pick five days? When are Sep- you going? September 9th through the fourteenth. Okay. Because I, 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 I think it's a great time. I'm a just lot of curious. Success. Okay. Right around then. Okay. And you're going to be archery hunting then. Yeah. In, in almost all places yep. in the country. And you're comfortable giving up the rifle for the lower success possibilities of Yeah, it's just, some, it's just too much fun with bugling elk. That's yeah. just like, it's so, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, Michael, do you, have you been at it long enough where you have a based on following us around with cameras well, where it's I, more fun i think that last year for me i thought like the last part of september like those last you know five days or maybe even like the last three days in the first couple of days of october were the best for me like in terms of encounters and seeing elk and bugling elk and just overall like it's a little bit cooler in that time like i hate hunting in the heat but like just pure enjoyment probably like that that time frame yeah if you gave me a time to go watch elk that's when i would go yeah but if you want me to kill an elk i'm going on the ninth you you think they're more killable earlier i i have had better luck earlier Corey thinks but that might also be a self-fulfilling thing thing because i don't have a tag later in season (laughs) <laughs> oh, oh, I'm always done by the 14th, so I can't tell you what. Maybe it's great hunting on September 20th, but I'm always done by then. I'm smoking beer, smoking cigarettes, and drinking beer. On October 5th, I think. You've never bow. hunted rifle? With no, I have. Okay. No, I have. Hmm. I haven't really killed that many archery elk. Yeah. I think, 
Yeah. It, for me, it, at this point in my life, it's it's a different answer than when I wanted to kill more elk. When I wanted to kill more elk, it would have been, all right, I want to go the last week in November mm. with my rifle because I know my odds are going to be way higher. And I know the temperatures and the snow is going to be miserable and there are going to be fewer people out there because of that. Yeah, I'd really, I'd, so. I kind of want to hunt that period in Montana some year, but I, I can't hold on to my tag that long. Because <laughs> for sure, if I don't get it in rifle season, then it's like, I, the first week of rifle I try to, or yeah. if I don't get it in archery season, then it's that first week in rifle I try to fill that tag. Yeah. And now, later, where I'm like, you know, I've been lucky. My freezer usually has plenty of food in it. Um, there's nothing. And, and I agree with you that it's harder to kill an elk the later into September you get. I just, the number of, I have. I still seem to still have lots of encounters, but encounters that are within range seem to be fewer. The percentage of them, and I don't know if that's because everyone's all balled up together, and I stink like pig pen on the <laughs> Charlie Brown Snoopy days, and uh, they're they have greater likelihood of smelling, seeing, or hearing me, and because they're all in these bigger herds. So, but if I'm going to go have fun. I'm going September 20th to the 25th. Mm. Just, yeah, uh, it's it's crazy. Uh, you know you're going to hit the absolute peak of it. And yeah. Yeah, you may not get one, but. You know um, you're going to hear some bugling and. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and the grouse are still. Except in uh, Wyoming that one year. What day was that? I know, it was 90-some degrees, though. No, 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 no. The. Oh, in November. When, we, when me and you had with, tags. And uh, with, oh yeah, that's with right. Bo. Oh, oh the yeah. When we took yeah, the that's right. Yeah, that I was like that was like the September twentieth or yeah. something. They're I mean, just, I still shot a bull, but right. it was like yeah. And we should have shot a second. They weren't that night. They weren't bugling much at all. No. I mean, we didn't hear anything. And there were elk around. Right. Well, after we shot yours, though, we had that one yeah, canyon where yeah, that yeah. one came in right below us, and then on our way out. I guess <laughs> when you start mentioning all the encounters, it make it sound pretty good. But yeah. like for what I'm, it was expecting at September twentieth, like you know, yeah. I that just was a bugle frenzy, heavy, heavily like we timbered area too. Like we yeah. had that when me and you were sitting on that rock, and we had that cow party up there. That I mean, that elk was close. Like mm -hmm. if oh yeah, we did elk, almost call that one. And yeah. I, he was like you could hear him walking down yeah. there. You could hear it was. It wasn't it just, a so thick. It wasn't like a bugle fest, but like there there were elk in that yeah. area that were. That's true. And and we were limited to you know outside the, the outside wilderness. The yeah, we couldn't yeah. go in the wilderness. <clears throat> so yeah, I'm. That's probably when I'd go just because now elk hunting is a lot. The motivation of food is still there, but. The motivation for fun and just observing and encounters is real is higher than it used to be. Yeah. So, what else have we got to solve before we let people back to their day? You drew the Wyoming deer tag. Yeah, we do. We got to tell her. Are we not where? talking about that? We're we not talking about that. <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> no, we can talk about it. So you I burned my maximum Wyoming deer points to draw a deer tag finally in Wyoming. And here's here's my worry. 
Last night, I'm upstairs in the Randy room, and I pull out my drawer, and there's an Arizona strip tag unpunched in there. <laughs> there's a Kaibab mule deer tag unpunched in there. And I'm like, oh, this took maximum points. Is there going to be a Wyoming All I can think tag? of is that song that we have yet to commission somebody to write. Glory tags? Glory tags. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we were in the Kaibab in Arizona driving around singing Bruce Springsteen's <laughs> Glory Days with glory tags. And we had the whole lyrics <laughs> we, laid out. Yeah, we did not write that down. I we know. really should. I'll have to come up with that again. <laughs> we'll come up with it on this Wyoming hunt, probably. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, it's kind of weird. You know, our second choice for a pronghorn last year was 100% we put in as a party. Yeah. And what, I mean, we put in for a little bit harder unit as our first choice, but I thought, no, nah, maybe we'll get our second choice because it was 100% last year. We didn't draw that. Nope, no pronghorn. And, and my deer odds last year were 20, like low 20%. This year they were only 10 or 11%, and I drew Clean Get lucky sometimes. Clean living. And then, oh, the Utah put out what the odds were for bison or for all their tags this year. Oh, yeah. And that archery bison tag I drew last year. Yeah. All these guys jumped in with gobs of points and they didn't issue, because in Utah, if they issue two tags, one goes to the highest point holder and one goes to the, like, just a regular bonus point draw. Okay. They only issued one non-resident tag this year. So all those guys with tons of points who <laughs> thought they were in the running, somebody with, like, four points drew it in the bonus point draw instead of the high point draw. Huh. So, yeah. And everyone's complaining about Wyoming. I'm... Uh, I don't know if these are tongue-in-cheek or serious, but they're like, Newburgh, you ruined Wyoming. Like, really? Yeah. Well, you yeah. ruined most of the hunting out west, actually, yeah. That's rumor <laughs> has it. Between telling everybody... I, I mean, as bad as as bad of a hunter as I am, as low success rates as I have, I can't believe anybody f listens to what I say or where I go or what I do, but it it, it is funny to read that stuff, but... Pronghorn hunting is a ton of fun, and they taste good, and Wyoming has a lot of them. So I go there and do it whenever I can, and if it looks like I'm having fun, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm really Yeah, that's why we I didn't draw that antelope tag this year, because Randy Newberg ruined it. Yeah, I was really Everybody looking forward. Thanks, Randy. I was really looking forward <laughs> to doing that. Everybody applied there, and then... <laughs> <laughs> Dang. Yeah, between me and Go Hunt, and they, they blame it on a whole bunch of other people. Oh, yeah. I, I'm usually not the only one they blame it on. Uh, and I say that because there's some jokes out on our hunt talk forum today because uh, Wyoming results came out yesterday. Ooh, is, did Idaho? Uh, I don't know. I was going to say I might have an Idaho elk take by the end of this podcast. But did you, I, you, I, when is it coming I out? I think the Idaho guys are BSing us. I don't think it's coming out today. I think that's a. I have. So this year I completely punted on the moose. Uh, after I don't know how many years, everyone about every fifth year I get frustrated with Idaho moose and I go back to deer, elk, and antelope. And this was one of those years. I yeah, in theory, because uh, those would have the best odds for for moose. sheep and goat, right? Yeah, because you can only do one of them, right? You can do moose or goat or sheep, but if you do any of the one of those three, you can't do deer, elk, and antelope. So, hmm, hmm. well. We went, we went from having no tags to lots of tags all of a sudden. Yep. Our buddy Bart drew the bighorn sheep tag in the brakes. 
Oh man! So many people. Have, so many people have asked, "Are you going to film that?" And it's like, no way. He's too good of a friend. I'm, if people <laughs> knew what an imposition we are. Like when the Montana stuff came out, I've got I don't know how many emails. Oh, my wife drew a goat tag. You should film it. Oh, I drew a moose tag. You should film it. Well, and not just Montana, but any hunt. We only have five days. So in Montana, how long is our moose, goat, and sheep hunts? Like 10 weeks or something like that? We're not going to show up and say, hey, we expect you to shoot something in that five days we're here and forsake the other 65 days of season or whatever. Yeah, it's hard It's hard on both ends. I mean, yeah. the, for us and then them too, because you don't want to no. ruin their hunt. And then yeah. we would put down a lot of resources for a short period of time. Yeah, I'm, I'm just not going to do that to Bart. Now, you know, if he begs and pleads the last week of season <laughs> and says, look, I still haven't shot one you guys want to come with, then maybe we'd think about it because, well, when season ends, season ends. So then we wouldn't feel like we were pressuring him or something. But he's a good guy. I'm glad to see that he drew the tag. Yeah. You guys know anyone else who drew Montana moose goat or sheep? Uh, yeah. Uh, my buddy, you know, Eric, uh, he works at Sitka. Um, he's like, he, he goes and sets up the booth and all that stuff, but mm -hmm. he drew a moose tag. I don't oh, know no. where at, but, well, um, no, no one in Montana. Really? My friend drew a goat tag in Oregon. Oh, that's a steal. That, that's like lottery luck mm -hmm. there. Yeah. Hmm. There's like one, it was two tags given out. I think there was like three. He had like his first year applying, like horrible, <laughs> horrible odds. Does, does Oregon do points like like Montana does, or is it not? I don't kinda... think for for I know they don't for bighorn sheep, and I I guess they probably don't for goat would be my really? guess. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. Uh, yeah, the worst thing you can do if this was your first year of applying, and there are people who've applied for forty years, don't say. Oh, my first year applying, I drew a sheep tag. I was like, <laughs> no, you're looking to get beat up down at the bar, man. Uh, uh, Brandon Wynn, he drew Montana sheep. He's from New Mexico. Last year, he drew Arizona desert sheep. Oh, or was it the year before? He's like just checking the box. Chung, chung, chung. <laughs> and who else drew a Montana sheep tag this year that I knew? Hmm. Trying to remember. Oh, well. But you and I both had good chances on goat yeah in theory in theory yeah i got them i think i'm close to one in five odds drawing a goat tag huh you know what'll happen we'll both draw in the same year we don't have room on the calendar <laughs> <laughs> we'll make room yeah. <laughs> <laughs> i think so right okay anything else we gotta do on this friday afternoon I don't know. I got to edit some videos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Before you go fishing. Yeah, I'm going. But do you, do you think it makes any sense, my analogy of how I apply my fishing ideas and finding fish? Yeah. I mean, elk? just thinking about it, like when I'm fishing, if there's no fish where I'm fishing, I'm moving spots, you know, or I'm trying, I'm try I think it may, like it transfers, like I'm always trying new things. And often when you do that, you figure out like they're in this spot because of, you know, high water, high or water or, or, or yeah, yeah, exactly. The, what their needs are during the year. Mm -hmm. And when I get away from that, I find that I'm not as successful, but you know, you, there's only really one way to learn. It's to go out and do it. And 
and test things out. So yeah, if I'm not catching fish in this bend, I'm going to try five, six casts in there, maybe do a little, little change or something. If I see a, a midge, you know, flying around, I'll try out a different fly in that, that kind of pattern. If they're not there, I'm moving to the next spot. Yeah. So do I feel ever... like that transfers <clears throat> to elk hunting too, in, in a way, but yeah. do you ever leave fish to find fish? Uh, no. no, I try not to. I mean, I, I definitely have, and it's a mistake, <laughs> but yeah, that's, that's something I've learned. If, it, I, if you're catching one or two fish out of a hole, you, you ought to fish it for a while yeah. until you're not catching them yeah. and then move. You ever leave elk to find elk, Marcus? I have. Yeah. How'd it work, how'd it work out? Uh, it's gone both ways. Oh, really? Before, but yeah. Huh. <laughs> no, so I, you did find the greener pasture a time or two. I have, yeah, but... It's usually like because we, you know, you pressure them too much and okay. they're all riled up or whatever. Well, like oh, I'm gonna go somewhere else. And you can but be no, like, it's yeah. And I get what you're saying about the whole the your analogy of. Uh, but I, I think I I think there is some truth to there's there's some randomness to it. I think there's oh, just sometimes yeah. they are where they are. <laughs> There's a reason they're there, but there's a place that's identical to that spot where they're not. Exactly. Like, so they just, there's right. some randomness to it. No, that's not random. We think it's random. <sighs> to them, it is not random. Yeah. Think about it. Can an elk afford to take risk just based on, I'm going to randomly do this? They have one job, to live to see tomorrow. And if they just said, I'm going to randomly do something, that's an expense of energy and calories and exposure to risk and other factors that they're not going to live very long. So I don't think elk do anything randomly. Yeah. Nothing. Well, I mean, what if, you, what if you have like six drainages that are identical? Mm -hmm. Same amount of food, same amount of water, same right. distance away from everybody. Mm -hmm. Sometimes they're just going to be in one of those drainages. Right. They are, but not for a random but reason. They are they are in that drainage one drainage two versus one, three, four, five, or six, because there's something in the wind patterns, in the steepness, in the approaches, in the whatever to drainage two that is not random. That that's yeah. my theory. But I, then they might be in. What if they're in drainage they're in drainage two one day and then the next day they're in three and the next day they're in three. Because something about three. the conditions and, and factors. Because. They'll all, all of those are equally good, and there's something in the factors and the conditions that cause mm -hmm. them to be where they are. All right. I, the only thing random about hunting is what people are doing. That, that's my theory. There, an animal that decides they're going to randomly behave is never going to make it past its first year. I don't think there's too many things that want to kill it: hunters, predators, disease, winter, starvation. Marcus isn't convinced. He, look at him. <laughs> I think there's an advantage to having some random behavior because if you become too predictable, then stuff's going to start killing you, whether it's human predators or hmm. mountain lions or wolves or whatever. Is that what they taught at the MSU wildlife No, so program? long ago I don't really remember anything. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Our neighbors next door are vacuuming their carpet. Nice. Yeah. You hear that? It sounds like a DeWalt sander going on <laughs> over there. It can like feel the vibrations. Yeah, I'm about to bang on the wall over there. So I guess that's a sign that maybe we should just shut it down then and let the audience think about. He getting hurt? That guy. 
I hope you folks can hear that, man. I've heard tractors and skitters that aren't as loud as that vacuum cleaner, but anyhow, we would like to know your comment about, is there anything random about what animals do, specifically elk? And do you think, A, elk are where you find them, or B, you find them where they are? Marcus's theory is A, elk are where you find them. Randy's theory is B, you find them where they are. That work? I guess. I mean, it seems like it's the same thing to me. But <laughs> <laughs> We're going to have to get a, some sort of wordsmith specialist, some teacher of the English language to come and say if those are the same thing. All right, yeah. Because I, I, as many times as we've discussed it, I don't think you and I are going to come to the same conclusion on it. <laughs> uh, well, thanks for listening, folks. Hope you all drew a tag. If you didn't, uh, sometime in the next few podcasts, we're going to talk about all these leftover options, over-the-counter options, return tag options. And this is when people really get mad, when you lay out... You know, there's a second draw in Idaho that you could be part of. You know, they return tags in Colorado that if you're on the stick, you could get one of them. That's when these people really blame me for ruining Western hunting. (laughs) I can see it, yeah. Yeah. For being such a bad hunter, I can't believe I've ruined the entire Western hunting landscape. (laughs) I'm like the worst below average hunter there is. Anyhow, thanks for listening, folks. Appreciate it.